Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of Pro Shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also, check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, from Washington, D.C., and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. Joining me today on the Above180.com podcast is Derek Petty. Derek has a blog on the website. It's called Derek's Dialogue, so check that out. Lots of great stuff coming up with the USBC Open and all sorts of other sort of writings from Derek. And Derek, I wanted to thank you for joining me today. Sure, certainly. Well, Derek, I thought we'd have you on. You're one of the bloggers. You write on the website, and you actually came out, went out to Vegas and bowled the Team USA Trials. You actually, Why don't you talk about, first off, how that whole thing happened, because I know that that was kind of a unique story in itself. Yeah, definitely. My, my entire USBC Nationals team, every year, we, much like uh, some of the other teams, end up pulling our money together and, you know, getting to brackets and et cetera. At the same time, we always pull our money and, you know, put it in for the team, team trials. Uh, I, I figured, hey, you know, worst case scenario, if I don't make it, my money will go to a good cause. It'll go and help support the fund for the, for the team trials. I haven't bowled well enough this past year and was one of the 11 people that actually made the trials. Great. So fast forward then now to this year. How did you prepare during the year? When did they let you know? Was it shortly after the USBC Open concluded that they let you know you were one of the finalists and, and you should uh, should get ready to start practicing? Or how did that whole thing take place? So I kind of felt kind of, uh, I guess I'd say pretty confident about, about my scores, you know, shooting 1980-ish. I wasn't 100% confident, but I figured you know, that was a pretty good score on the condition that was out there this past year based on how the singles and doubles changed. So I kind of kept paying attention and was thinking if they take the 1 in 10 that they're taking, if they get about 100 entries, I might be pretty close to the cut line. I happen to be 10th. So I was, they eventually posted the scores, and I saw that I had made it. I was 10 out of 11 and was pretty excited about it. Excellent. Now let's let's talk about how did you prepare because this is something you know a little background on you, Derek, and, and me and Derek know each other from our, our days when I was back in the Washington D.C. area. But it's not necessarily the easiest place back that way to find and have them put out some of those world patterns, uh, team challenge <coughs> patterns that you guys are bowling on. So how did you go about that and trying to prepare yourself? Absolutely. So we'll break it down a couple in, in a couple of different scenarios here. So I knew that it was it was basically a bunch of sprints inside of a marathon from a tournament perspective. You know, bowling six games a day for for five days it was going to be thirty games. So I wanted to make sure one that I was physically ready. So I I did you know some small workout programs, make sure that I had some cardio underneath me, and you know got my core and body and et cetera ready. And I also wanted to make sure that I was bowling extensively enough around here just to get the games under my belt. So I'd go out and practice eight, nine, ten games a day, 
just to make sure that one, my physically, my body was correct, my hand was correct, my my focus was right. So that's how I handled it from a physical perspective. Around here, though, um, with some of the centers, it's kind of tough, as you mentioned, Tim, to to get the conditions or get differing, tougher conditions laid down. Thankfully, one of the local centers has was was nice enough to actually put different tough conditions out on Sundays. They put things like Atlanta. The Atlanta pattern, the Mexico City pattern, quite a few different of the WTBA patterns as well as some of the PBA patterns. So on Sundays, we would go out probably bowl five, six, seven, eight games on these different conditions. And we use that as our practice time to get prepared. And at that point, is it just wanting to get some games under your belt where you know you have to keep your angles a little tighter and just kind of keep your margins a little slighter, even if you're not bowling exactly, because we all know the patterns aren't going to break down the exact same when you, Absolutely. When you transition out to Vegas? Absolutely. 100% agree with that. Even when you're bowling on your house shots and your league conditions where you're bowling three games, you typically have that comfort level. You understand the breakdown. The second piece is... Not only is it just getting the games in, you know, getting your angles down, watching your lines, making sure that you know, your game is tip-top, but, but it's also taking some of the balls that you think will work and matching them up to the conditions. At that point in time, it'll be either some surface changes, maybe a different ball if you might need it, but you can go out there at least with what you would think are, is your, your benchmarks and go up and down from there, change surfaces while you're out there. I was going to ask, did you try to get the surfaces correct before, and how did that transition when you actually went out and bowled at the Orleans? So speaking, speaking of that, one of the interesting things that while you were actually competing, you were able to change the surface of your bowling ball in between every game. So one of the, one of the rules or regulations of the WTBA is they allow you to change surfaces. So as the days started, you could get your surface, but if you felt as though you needed a fresh 4,000 between every single game, you could put fresh 4,000 every single game. So taking a look at the conditions, understanding the surface that we were bowling on, trying to compare that to the surface here, that's kind of tough. You can practice as much as you want, maybe get in the kind of zone or area that you want to, but you just never know. Okay, well, let's fast forward. You do the practice session out there. They have an orientation for all you folks. First off, how did the practice session go, and do you think um, how, what were your thoughts? What was going through your mind after you finished up with your practice session? I felt pretty confident. Uh, now, I had shipped my equipment, and I had actually taken eight balls, um, and only four of them had arrived by the practice time. I actually didn't get the other set of balls until late in the evening after the practice session. So I, I felt handcuffed a little bit, but also felt comfortable enough that I knew with the balls that I had actually practiced with during the practice session that I was going to be pretty close with all of the balls that I had brought. Okay, and your first day, how, how did things go? And, and if you want to just kind of briefly discuss each day and your thought process and in going into each day and, and how you scored on the patterns. Sure. I would, I would say overall from a tournament perspective, days one through four, I was pretty confident. About day five, I got pretty frustrated with the fact that I just did not carry as well throughout the week, be it physical, be it focus, be it mental, be it my balls just not matching up correctly. I, I'm not sure even to today what was the deciding factor. My spare game was phenomenal all week. I just couldn't string strikes together. I could, you know, I could throw doubles. I could throw triples. It didn't matter whether it was the Atlanta pattern on day one or the, you know, the Tokyo pattern on day two or Stockholm on three. I felt pretty confident throughout the entire week. You know, even on the shorter pattern, which was Stockholm on, on you know, 34 feet, I, I felt pretty confident. And I typically have struggled on the shorter patterns throughout 
throughout my competition of the past couple of years with the introduction of all these different patterns. Well, and let's talk about some of the scoring pace because it looked like, you know, when you hit the pocket, some people were able to carry and score well. How do you think the patterns played as far as, you know, Derek, you've bowled on the USBC Open, you've bowled on the, you know, US, uh, US Open, you bowled up at the Masters. How would you say these patterns compare to some of your past uh, bowling experiences as far as the toughness of the overall patterns is concerned? I would certainly say that this, as well as some of the other PBA tournaments that I've competed in, the conditions overall lasted much longer than I think I expected them, especially in some of the local tournaments where they put out these these patterns, or at least try to replicate the patterns. So I was pretty happy with that. As far as the breakdown of some of the patterns, some of the patterns were actually played a lot further right than as pre- than was predicted of how you should actually break the pa- the pattern down. Mexico City and Athens, the everybody actually played uh, three, four, five, six area the first the uh, early on in that session, which allowed for a lot of lane play to the right. So. Throughout the week, even the Atlanta pattern, the 38 pattern, actually played around the 3-4-5. Now, whether that was the characteristics of the Orleans or not, I'm not sure, but I was actually able to play much straighter for longer than I absolutely thought that I would be playing. Now, that could have been, in hindsight, maybe some of my demise, and maybe I should have played deeper when some of the patterns, which many of the people were. A couple times I caught myself playing in the track area, whether it was mental or not, or maybe it was the way that I was actually seeing my ball motion, and I know that that handcuffed me a couple of days. So what's your biggest takeaway from uh, from bowling this and looking back? I think that preparation-wise, it doesn't matter uh, it, it doesn't matter how many how many games you get in or what, what you need to do. You just need to know that you need to stay focused at all points in time. So you certainly need to focus on getting your games in, focus, focus on getting physically correct, and there's nothing short of being said about competing, competing, competing. I feel as though I didn't have enough competition or tournament games under my belt to understand all of my equipment completely, bowling in league and et cetera, and just going through the motions isn't enough when you go to a big stage in a big tournament as such where you need to potentially pick up one ball and then go directly to another because you're going to a completely different zone or a completely different portion of the lane. Well, Derek, you know, myself and uh, Coach K. Steve Klumpkin do a podcast where we, we uh, had a chance to speak with Del Ballard when he was out at the team trials watching some of the Storm folks and, and some of his players. And one of the things that he said that really made me feel uh, feel like bowling uh, optimistic about our sport is that the younger kids, and there were, you know, when you were out there, there was there was a whole range of, of folks. It was youth. It was all the way up to adult. Uh, but he said that the younger folks actually like bowling on these tougher patterns. So what did you see and what was your perspective on, on that and the fact that, you know, maybe in the future you'll be able to bowl on these sort of patterns for a league, say, for instance? Absolutely. Largest, participant, largest participation for a team trials, men and women, that in itself is leaps and bounds over you know past participation, which is great. The question is, is, was it timing? Was it the fact that it was in between college? Who knows? But it was just great to see that they you know had 173 men fill the field with a maximum of 175. Some of the youth that are coming up in bowling, phenomenal bowlers. I was shocked at many of the youth that are, their games are tip-top. They're absolutely on. Spare shooting is phenomenal physical game, mental game, it's definitely evolving and it's very good to see some of the youth that are in that that participate that are out there actually participating. Well, and Derek, that's going to really help them as adults and that's one of the things doing these collegiate spotlights with coach K when we're talking to the collegiate coaches and players and everything, 
they go out and they bowl all these tournaments and they get that experience so that when they get to be adults and they're bowling the USBC Open or they're bowling the Masters or they're bowling the US Open, that's nothing new to them. I mean, they're used to the lane play. They're used to being able to adapt to their surroundings and, and it's only going to make our sport better as we all move forward. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I bowled in college myself for four years at uh, Virginia Tech and what I learned there, I'm pretty sure I would not be the player that I am today if I didn't have that collegiate bowling underneath me. So the fact that it's available for the youth to see how many collegiate programs there are now, whether it's extramural or whether it's actually a collegiate NCAA sport or not, it's just amazing to see the amount of participation when you, you know, go to college bowling, look at all the Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 events, look at all the, that are actually, the people that are actually competing in bowling. And just to see some of those people in action last week, fantastic. Well, Derek, I want to thank you for taking just a few minutes out of your busy day to come on and fill in our listeners. I know we had talked about this. We were kind of keeping in touch during the tournament, how, how things are progressing. And, you know, we can always take something and learn from that. And like you said, that's all you can do after you look back and reflect is what could I have done different to prepare? What could I do better? So thanks and all the best of luck with all your tournaments. And, and I know you're one of the great bowlers back in the D.C. area. So just uh, continued successes. Thanks. Thanks. I very much so appreciate you having me on.